Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. The national championship for Notre Dame. Plus, fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, it is finally Friday. Good afternoon, everyone. Budweiser's weekday sports beat live on this Friday, June the 30th of 2023. Eight minutes after five o'clock. Hope you're having a terrific day. The weekend is arriving and we are ready to wrap up your week with two hours of sports talk here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT radio app, video feed on the Twitch app. However you are tuning in, we greatly appreciate it. Over the next two hours, we've got our hat trick of opening topics to get to in just a moment, including Notre Dame TV. The fans did a pretty good job picking the National League All-Star team. I don't think I've ever said that. And also, a very interesting golf rant. Coming up at 5.30. This one's actually kind of personal, so (laughs) I'm going to have to control my temper just a little bit, but there was an interesting statement made from a longtime St. Louis, Missouri sports media member that kind of took not necessarily a shot at Cardinal fans, but called us spoiled fans. And it has caused an uproar to say the least. And I'm going to tackle this, and I and I think he's dead wrong. And it's someone I worked with, I've admired, I model my career after. So saying I think he's dead wrong on this kind of stinks because normally I have been in agreement for on so many things through the years of what he has said. But this one, I'm just not buying. So we'll get to that at 5.30. Twitter question of the day is on the way in just a little bit. Coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, the top quarterback prospects as we look ahead to the 2024 
National Football League draft, and Notre Dame will face for sure one of those five during the regular season. We've got our Notre Dame football week in review. That will come your way at 625, and we'll wrap up today's program with our sports wagering segment. We go into Sizzler. Went 2-2 two and two last night. Already 1-0 today as we took the Cubs on the money line. Actually, we took the Cubs minus one and a half runs today against the Guardians. Thank you. And we won 10 to 1. So already 1 0 today. The rest of our picks come your way at the end of the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's get rolling. Our first of three topics to start tonight's program here on WSBT Radio. It's a very important subject. When it comes to the future of Notre Dame football and, quite frankly, Notre Dame athletics, the TV deal Notre Dame is able to come up with in this upcoming cycle. We all know the SEC and the Big Ten have massive media rights deals. USC, UCLA, seeing all that money that's being Kicked out of the Big Ten ATM, caused them to leave their longtime home, the Pac-12, and join the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma jumped from the Big 12 to the SEC. The ACC, they've got a media rights deal through 2035. We've heard about teams wanting to get out of that deal if possible. We're waiting to see what the Big 12 and the Pac-12 come up with. And then there is the Fighting Irish. Notre Dame... It's around $20 million per year from the ACC. And the rest of their TV deal comes from what they get from their current partner, NBC. Now, Football Scoop had an interesting story today on the Notre Dame search for a new TV deal. According to Front Office Sports, They're reporting Notre Dame is seeking to triple its football rights fees with its next contract. If you're a Notre Dame football fan, you know this. The Irish have been partnered with NBC since 1991. The current deal runs out in 2024 at a rate of $22 million. Now, this report says that Notre Dame will seek between 65 and $75 million per year, again, just for home football games plus neutral side games where the Irish are the designated home team within this new deal. Now, we've heard that number before, $75 million. That came up. I want to say right around the time USC, UCLA jumped to the Big Ten. So we've heard that $75 million mark that Notre Dame might be shooting for in the past. So this is the second time we've heard that number. So what is the Notre Dame contract worth compared to other entities in college football? It's a very fair question and a question that television stations are considering. Now, over the last three seasons, Notre Dame telecasts on NBC averaged 2.34 million viewers. That's 19 games, not counting the Peacock games. Not one of the Notre Dame games topped the 4 million viewer mark and seven 
fell under $2 million. Now, 26 Big Ten games aired on either Fox or ABC in 2022. Those games drew a median of 3.97 million viewers. That is nearly 70% more than the average Notre Dame game. Now, excluding big noon games and including games that aired on ESPN, not ESPN2 in other words, the caliber of games NBC is likely to get 27 Big Ten games averaging 2.76 million viewers. That is 17% above the average of the Notre Dame audience. Now, we got to keep in mind the Big Ten has that primetime game on NBC this year. So the expectation is that audience will be 17% higher than the Notre Dame audience. The highest for a Big Ten game last year was 6.6 million Ohio State and Maryland. The lowest was Purdue-Wisconsin on ESPN at 1.01 million. Notre Dame has not fallen down to that level. So, this report talks about that Notre Dame games are worth roughly 80% of the Big Ten package. So, if you take 80% of that $18.7 million mark, multiply it by seven games per season, that comes to $105 million per year. Now, Notre Dame's not going to get $105 million per season for their football package. I think a question to ask that has been raised in stories, how much money does NBC have left after going all in on that primetime Big Ten football package. They'll have games on Peacock as well. Is that going to affect their bidding on the Notre Dame contract? Could the Notre Dame contract be truly a free agent for this new upcoming cycle? Could ESPN, could Fox, could CBS jump into the mix? Well, Notre Dame wants competition. Supply and demand. They're hoping several markets are interested in their contract. Heck, raise the bidding. Let everybody duke it out. But obviously, this is a big, big deal. At some point, if the ACC crumbles due to departures, which we're still not sure how that would work with that agreement they have through 2035 as a conference with their members, on their media deal. But if the ACC crumbles, that 10 to 20 million, whatever Notre Dame gets from the ACC goes bye-bye, that makes this contract even more important when you hear about some of the massive numbers that the Big Ten teams are going to be gaining in this new media deal. So the search continues. Again, this is not the first time we've heard an estimate of 65 to 75 million that Notre Dame is looking for for the broadcast rights of their home games. Very important process. A lot going on right now. You got the merchandise deal. Is Under Armour going to get it back? Nike, Adidas, and you got this TV contract looming. Hat trick of opening topics number two. I haven't voted in the Major League Baseball All-Star Game process in years because, personally, the fans do a pretty poor job of selecting the individuals involved. Now, 
The voting was more important when actually something was on the line when we had the which league gets home field for the World Series based on who wins the All-Star game. Then picking the teams were important. This is back to being an exhibition. It really doesn't matter. But as someone that follows the National League the closest, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the fans did a heck of a job voting the starters for the National League All-Star game. They nailed the catcher. No doubt it should be Sean Murphy of the Atlanta Braves, always known as a great defensive catcher in Oakland, traded to Atlanta. Now his offense is shining. 289 with 13 homers and 44 knocked in and an OPS of 926. First base could have gone two different ways. I have no problem with the Dodgers' Freddie Freeman over Atlanta's Matt Olson, who has 26 home runs. Freeman, 317, the average, 14 homers, leads the majors in doubles with 27 and a whopping 938 OPS. Ozzie Albies of the Braves could be the starting second baseman for the National League, but I have no problem with Luis Arez of the Marlins getting that nod. He leads the majors in batting average at 396. He leads the majors in on-base percentage 447. Doesn't hit many doubles, triples, or homers. That's not his game. Putting the ball in play, slapping it around, pitching or hitting that ball where it's pitched, and he is flirting with 400. The shortstop, I think it's disappointing that it's the Braves, Orlando Arcia. And that's not a bad choice considering he's a great defender, hitting 303 with a 358 on base. But you think about four shortstops that could be that guy. Francisco Lindor is not producing. Trey Turner's having an off year. Xander Bogart's got off to a good start. He's now faded in San Diego. And Dansby Swanson was a guy you couldn't get out the first couple of weeks. Now he's kind of falling back to who he is, if not down a notch. So the best choices aren't the best choices this time around. At third base, you can't go wrong with the Cardinals' Nolan Arenado, one of the greatest defensive third basemen of all time. And after a really, really slow start, the numbers are starting to get there. 274, 322, 16 knocks, and 54 driven in. And the outfield, you the fans crushed it. Ronald Acuna Jr., the MVP of the National League. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, wonderful choice. And credit to the fans for paying attention. The rookie from Arizona, Corbin Carroll, gets the nod. Great speed, great power. Not a big guy going home to Seattle to participate in the All-Star game. So nice going, fans. I wouldn't change a thing, and I don't think I've ever said that before. Our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight at 521 here on WSBT Radio. I'm not sure how to set this one up. I'll simply say this. NFL Network, they have their Good Morning Football program, and the B team has been in this week with the A team getting some time off before training camps get underway. And I don't mean that derogatory, the B team, but it's just not the main crew. So I'm not sure why this was a part of a football show. But I'm going to play it for you anyway because I'm just curious how you respond to this. So the fill-in host right now is Sarah Walsh, who used to be an ESPN SportsCenter anchor. And now works for the NFL Network. A lot of times she's down in Florida covering NFL games for their game day show. 
but she's the fill-in host on Good Morning Football. And she went on an all-time rant, not on onside kicks, not on targeting in college football, not on officiating, but on a football show, she went on a rant about men playing golf too much. This takes a couple of minutes, but I'm just wondering your reaction to hearing all of this. There's been a lot of talk in the studio this week. It's the grumbling about seeking permission from the significant other and being given a hard time because you just want to play a simple round of golf with your buddies. But I just want to put this in perspective, the other side of that equation, the one in which you come to us with utterly unrealistic promises that can never be fulfilled, starting with this real unplayable lie. <laughs> you are not going golfing. And it's just going to take three and a half hours. You know how I know that? Because not once in your history of golfing has a round ever taken three and a half hours. Not once. And it's not because the group in front of you plays slow. And it's not because they had a dude in jean shorts with the 20 handicap. First of all, it is because your round of golf starts an hour earlier than your tee time so that you can get on the range, so that you can find your swing because somewhere in the recess of your brain, you think that you have a shot to get on tour. Wow. It's because after your four and a half hour round, if you're lucky, it's not your fault, but your boy Chad, who got you on the course, forces you to go grab food with them at the club grill after. And I get it. You're starving. You know why you're starving? You've been there all day. Also, don't complain about having to take a call from your wife when you're on the course. You know why? Because I'm not interrupting. That's I know why. Someone's That's... laughing on this desk, and this is where I got it from. Not allowed on the course. I wasn't going to call Mike G out for this, but now I am. You know what, Mike? <laughs> your wife is not interrupting your 60-minute massage and your only hour of peace in the day. You're gone all day. Stuff comes up. Okay, there's more to come, but let's stop for a second. Is there any man... On the face of the earth, since obviously this is a female perspective on men golfing, so let's play along with what's going on here. Is there any man on the face of the earth that truly goes to their significant other and says, I'm going golfing for three and a half hours? I can't imagine anybody says that. You don't put a time frame, first of all, on a round of golf because... It's not always in your control. The people in front of you can control how long your round of golf is. And three and a half hours, if you get up at 6 a.m., yes, you can get it done in that capacity. But in the middle of the day, in a busy time at the golf course, there's no man, there's nobody that would say, oh, I'll, I'm going to go play three and a half hours of, of golf. No, it's, not, it's not realistic. And why is it that Sarah believes just because you go to the golf course an hour early to warm up that you're trying to make sure you have a shot to go on tour? No, we're just trying to warm up. If you don't warm up, you can hurt yourself with the velocity of some swing. So, yeah, you want to loosen up a little bit. You putt, you chip, you get ready for your tee time. Because if you want an actual round of golf to be three and a half hours like you do in your imaginary world, you want to be at the tee on time. So, yeah, we all putt around. We chip around. We get there early to make sure we're there so we start on time. And this shot on tour stuff she keeps talking about, how many of us go out to play golf thinking we're going to be on tour? We're just trying to win a few bucks off our buddies. 
and have a couple of beers. I, I don't know of anyone age 47. Oh, man, I had a horrible day. There goes my shot at the PGA Tour. I can't find the TV remote. I don't know what you What's do the Hulu login? Exactly. Got that one. We yes. need answers, Mike G. <laughs> Where's the car? When you do come Where's home. Where's the car? Got that one too. When you come home seven hours later and I say, hey, how did it go? I never hear, man, I'm getting better. I only hear you're working on some things and you're close. And because there's a lot the, of talk in the studio this uh, week. Hold it's, on. Because the game of golf is something that you can't perfect. It's impossible. Even the greatest don't perfect the game. So, yeah, we're going to be miserable coming home. Oh, I had this great shot, but oh, on this hole, I flubbed the chip and I would have made birdie. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of negativity, right? How did it go? I never hear, man, I'm getting better. I only hear you're working on some things and you're close. Ugh. And the only thing that's close to happening is me hiding those clubs where they're never going to be found again. <laughs> Here's another thing. How much golf gear do you guys need? Because I'm not talking about the shirts and the pants or the golf shoes. I'm talking about the random Amazon packages that show up that I know I didn't order. They're the ones that measure your launch stats. Yeah. Because just because you are buying gadgets to train speed doesn't mean you're about to be Roy McElroy. And stop telling me that the addition that the house really needs is a golf simulator. Yes. Because if I thought yes. the simulator was going to pay for itself by putting you on the PGA Tour, I would buy you the simulator myself. Get a less time-consuming hobby, like watching The Real Housewives. You know why? Episodes are only an hour. I can fast-forward through the commercials. You can't speed past the group in front of you or those shots on the... Now, I'm going to disagree there because if you watch that housewives thing which i don't isn't there like the warm-up to the show and then afterwards andy cohen they're at that bar thing and this is what happened so there's no way those shows just last that one hour there's like the pre-game and the and the post-game show plus last time i checked sitting on your couch eating cheese puffs isn't very healthy going out and playing golf and doing a little exercise that's probably a better thing. You know what takes less time than a round of golf? Practically any other sport. <laughs> you can watch a basketball game, a soccer game, a hockey game, most Sundays a football game. You can run a marathon in less time than it takes for you and your... This rant of complaining takes longer than a round of golf. ...boys to play around. It takes the International Space Station. Let me just let me just bring this all back. It takes the International Space Station 90 minutes to orbit around the Is there a vacancy on that place? Earth. It takes you 90 minutes to shoot 6 over through the first 6 holes. Wow. My condolences to her husband who actually came on the show next day and defended himself. Nice job. First off, on another subject, asking for permission was the basis of this whole rant. I have to ask for permission. I would have to think, or I would hope, a majority of men asking their wives or vice versa, hey, do we have anything going on? If not, the buddies want to play. We got a tea time at 1015. Is that okay? That'd be a nice way of communicating. But asking permission, uh, eh, eh, I don't know about that. And she talks about, well, he should answer the phone on the golf course. Well, you're not supposed to answer your phone on the golf course because you know what? That also slows down play, and you can't play in this magical three and a half hours. Text. We all check our phones. There's a ding normally on your phone. Ding. Where's the TV remote?
you don't need to call. Now, if there's an emergency, that's a totally different story. But how many times have you been golfing and you're waiting on someone in front of you who's on their cell phone? So that's the last thing you want to do if you're trying to hit this magical three-and-a-half-hour time frame to play a round of golf. And after hearing this rant, I'm beginning to understand why her husband picked a sport that might take seven hours to participate in. The warm-up, the playing of the round, having a hot dog and a beer afterwards, there might be an awfully good reason why he's picked a seven-hour sport rather than something that might take an hour and a half. I will say, if you play early, sometimes you can get in a round of golf sooner. Wow. My condolences to her husband. Oh, boy. <laughs> he, he's got his hands full now with the dirty laundry coming out on TV like that. That's, that's not cool. That's not cool. All right, that's our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. When we come back, while the NL Central looks awfully odd right now, a team that has had a winning record every season since 2007 is buried in the cellar, and now the fans are fighting with the media in this town over what's happening. I'll explain. I'll add my two cents. I'll probably get a little grumpy and angry during this. But, hey, we're having fun on June the 30th. One month away from the start of Notre Dame football practice. I'll take a deep breath during the break and come back. More sports beat coming up. But, hey, this just in. Very important news on the way. Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's the winner. Here's Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the Family Inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at BeatIndiana.org. And by Bethel University, a Dolan Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash SolidGround for details. My name is Darren Pritchett. I am 51 years old, and yes, I apologize. I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And with that being said, it is awfully strange to look at the baseball standings on June 30th and to see my team at 33 and 47, one of the worst records in baseball, nine and a half games out of first place, 15 and 24 at Bush Stadium and getting clobbered by the Houston Astros at home last night by a score of 14 to nothing, the worst shutout loss suffered by St. Louis 
in Bush Stadium 3, which opened in 2006. We are so used to winning that this is a slap in the face. This team has had a winning record every year since 2007. They've won two world championships this century. But this is a very strange spot. And with the team struggling as badly as they are, fans are upset. Sports talk show hosts are trying to figure it out, coming up with their solutions. The columnists are writing their stories. And one of my favorite people, truly, Randy Carricker in St. Louis of ESPN 101. I actually worked with him when he was at KMOX and I was a sports producer at KMOX in St. Louis. I've idolized him since I was pretty young and wanting to do this as my place of work. He took me around to St. Louis Rams game back at the old RCA Dome. Not the RCA Dome. What was it called then? The... TWA Dome? Now I've forgotten what it's called now. Isn't that embarrassing? But anyway, he would introduce me to the media. That's how I met Trey Wingo. And then years later, he came to South Bend, Golick and Wingo, the ESPN radio show. We had Trey on the program. And I said, hey, I met you way back when. You were super nice. It was a cool conversation. So that was all because of Randy. He's not a yeller and screamer. He gives well-thought-out responses to his thoughts. But recently, I got to admit, for the first time in over, gosh, probably 35 years of listening to him, he got under my skin where I wanted to throw my phone. Carricker had this to say on Twitter just a couple of weeks ago. Since the start of the 2000 season, the Cardinals have had one losing season. They've developed a spoiled, entitled fan base. That's not the fans' fault. That being said... A dose of reality now and then can be good for the soul. Maybe people will appreciate winning more after this. That led to, of course, a lot of responses to that Twitter post. A lot of conversation on his radio show about his comments. He went on other radio shows to talk about it. And I don't think that... Our fan base, and I apologize since I'm a Cardinal fan, I'll just say it that way, our fan base is spoiled. They're not spoiled. They're done with stupid. Three million fans every year pile into Bush Stadium. One of the biggest reasons why the St. Louis ownership can afford high-end players like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. It is the fans that come to the ballpark in droves. Even during this horrible season, Look who's right at the top of attendance in Major League Baseball. The Cardinals do not have the luxury of the TV money that teams like the Yankees, the Mets, the Cubs, and the Dodgers can put in their back pockets. The Cubs have their own TV network. St. Louis ownership relies on us to come through the turnstile. So you're darn right. As much energy, passion, and hard-earned money that We all put into the franchise. We have every right to be frustrated at this time. The love of the Cardinals is handed down from each generation. So, yeah, we love our team and we expect them to win because in almost every level of our lives, they win. They've won the world championship 11 times, second only to the New York Yankees. Yeah, we care. Or, Randy, would you prefer the fan base be like the Oakland A's and they get a few thousand fans 
at every ball game, and there's not an expectation to win in Oakland. This team right now is 33 and 47. We aren't spoiled. We're frustrated. We're frustrated because during the offseason, even the most average, and I mean average Joe or Jane Cardinal fan, could tell you they needed to upgrade their starting pitching. Even their bullpen needed a boost. But we were told by the front office they've got six starting pitchers. You want to hear about those six starting pitchers that we didn't need any more help? Sorry I'm saying we, but I'm into this now. It's like I'm talking to my friends on the phone. Those six pitchers that we didn't need anybody else, their ERAs right now, 4.44, 3.52, 4.95, 4.92, 7.45, and the sixth has been in AAA all year with an ERA of 6.00. Us. Yeah, you know us, spoiled fans. Also, we have to sit and watch these two great players we have on our team, the cornerstones of the franchise, who are aging. Paul Goldschmidt at 35, Nolan Arenado at 32. This is a time where you push your chips to the middle of the table. You try to do whatever you can to win when you've got these two superstar players who are getting up in age. Instead, what does St. Louis do? They sign a catcher that can't defend, is a person who is horrible at framing pitches. I watched it for years. I talked to Cub coaches when I was in South Bend's broadcast booth. Wilson Contreras was a horrible decision. I said it on the show a million times during the offseason. But all this front office, they have a great handle on everything. So what happens? The season starts. They take Contreras away from the catcher position because apparently he does all these things now magically wrong. They blame him for everything going on. And then a week later, he's back behind the plate. An absolute mess by this same front office that is stupid during this time frame I'm talking about. Oh, but it gets worse from here. Yeah, they never go for it. But we've also watched this team put themselves in a corner that they can't get out of. Let me take you back to the 2017 season. The organization had been unable to develop position players. There was a shortage of middle-of-the-lineup hitters. The response, they traded young pitchers Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen to the Marlins for two years of outfielder Marcel Ozuna, who could not match his Marlins production, while Alcantara was the Cy Young Award winner for the Marlins last year. And guess who is a leading candidate to win the award this year as a Diamondback? Yep, Gallon. And oh, by the way, in December of 2019, this team still in need of outfielders. They designated for assignment Adolis Garcia. Yeah, that Garcia, who's playing for the Texas Rangers, hitting 263 with a 333 on base, 20 home runs, and 66 driven in. Oh, but it gets even better. Later that offseason, St. Louis sent outfielder Randy Rosarena to the Rays in a deal that brought back a young pitcher, Matthew Libertor. A Rosarena, 286 this year, 401 on base, 14 homers, 54 driven in. Remember he had that miraculous postseason a couple of years ago hitting all those home runs? Well, Libertor has an ERA entering tonight of 5.60. They didn't have any position players, they said, but they let Garcia go. He'd be pretty good right now. They let a Rosarena go. He'd be pretty good right now. But instead, here's who they have. Dylan Carlson hitting 248 with five homers and 19 driven in. 
Lars Newbar is hitting 254, good on base, 357, four homers, 22 driven in. And Tyler O'Neill's been injured most of the year, even when he played 228 average, 283 on base, two homers, six driven in. Nope, not spoiled fans, frustrated fans, and tired of seeing stupid happen within this organization. And oh, yes, I forgot. Before going to the Washington Nationals and leading them to a World Series championship, guess who wanted to come back home to pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals and received zero interest from the organization? Have you ever heard of Max Scherzer? No interest whatsoever. So you're telling us we're spoiled? How about we're tired of stupid Stupid's been happening way too much the last five years, and now it's finally caught up to them. Here's my solution. I give a lot of credit to Theo Epstein, who built the Cubs into a World Series winner in 2016. After that season, he did not do the best job for that Cubs organization as they stalled. He even admitted he should have moved offense sooner because that offense became stale it just didn't work anymore so Theo had one year left on his contract when he walked away from the Cubs organization and what did that allow the person taking his place to be in charge of the major moves to reconstruct the Cubs organization the trading of Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez he allowed Jeb Hoyer to do that responsibility Theo wasn't going to be there, so why should he be in charge of that? And I love the fact the Cubs got Hoyer in that seat and let him take charge of the situation and not let Theo do it, and then Hoyer comes in the next year. Smart. Well, St. Louis, unfortunately, they gave their baseball operation head, John Mozeliak, a two-year extension before the season started. He's got two years left, and he already had said this was going to be it for him. He's going to kind of restructure the organization as he walks out the door. Why not now? Offer him a nice bouquet of flowers, a box of candy, some Ted Drew's ice cream, some toasted ravioli, and allow him to walk out early and bring in the next person to restructure this organization. The pitching does not rely on strikeouts. It's still contact and defense. And, folks, that is not how it works in today's baseball. You have to strike people out, and they don't have those people right now on their roster or throughout their organization. So, no, they don't need a massive rebuild. They need to retool around these two great players that they have. But more importantly... Us alleged spoiled fans are tired of watching stupid. And stupid, if it continues to happen over time, the result is 33 and 47 in one of the worst divisions in baseball. You're nine and a half games out of first on June the 30th. Not spoiled, frustrated with stupid. 550 is our time. I didn't curse. I'm happy about that. All right. We'll move along to our Twitter question of the day. I loved yesterday's question. We'll pass along the results. It involved giving you a Notre Dame football championship, but it's going to cost you. We'll go through the question and the results coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 
This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 554 at WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you. Our Twitter question of the day is posted daily on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat. We always ask you to vote. We leave always leave a comment if you would like. And let's go back to yesterday's program when I offered you this so-called deal. If I could promise you Notre Dame football would win the national title in 2023, but as a result, the Irish would not make the playoffs for the next 15 years, would you take the deal? I feel like Wayne Brady on Let's Make a Deal. So your choices were, yes, give me the national championship and I'll deal with the next 15 years. Or, no, I'll pass and I'll just let things play out in 2023 and the next 15 years and hope we win not one, not two, not three, or however many national championships. Well, many of you were ready to cut a deal. 60.6% said, just give me the national championship in 2023 and I'll suffer through the next 15 years of not making the playoffs. Is that the frustration of not winning a title since 1988 showing? Do you have little faith that this team can win a national championship under the current environment of this wild, wild west with the NIL, the disadvantage of Notre Dame in the undergraduate transfer world? Well, 60.6% said, give me the title and I'll deal with the next 15 years. 39.4% said, no thanks. I'll let the next 16 years play itself out. Very, very interesting. We appreciate your responses to our question of the day. Now to today's question. This is one of these days in our business that is hard to watch happen. But ESPN is going through major, major financial cuts. They are getting rid of top talent. And some of the individuals let go today include Jeff Van Gundy, who had called the last 17 NBA finals alongside Mike Breen the last 15 years. So Van Gundy had been a staple on the NBA coverage, gone. Jalen Rose, college basketball NBA analyst, gone. Max Kellerman of a lot of things, including what was a very hard-to-listen-to morning radio show, gone. Keyshawn Johnson on that same radio show, also involved in the NFL, he's gone. This was a shocker to me when you talk about the NFL draft on ESPN. Todd McShay was let go today by ESPN. He came to ESPN back in 2006. NFL coverage, Matt Hasselback was let go, Steve Young, Sports Center anchor Ashley Brewer. A big shocker here, 
Susie Culver had been a part of ESPN since 1993. She was part of the launch of ESPN2, was on SportsCenter, and did a lot of fantastic work with their NFL coverage, including being on-site for Monday Night Football. She was let go today. Hard to see a couple of former Notre Dame basketball players let go. LaFonso Ellis and Jordan Cornette were handed their pink slips today. Jason Fitz of ESPN Radio let go. David Pollock of ESPN College Game Day. That was a bit of a surprise. Also let go. So that's a big batch of individuals. Some of these names just came out. So I wrote this question when I had a certain list of who was let go. Simply put, with the big layoffs today at ESPN, who are you going to miss the most? Here are your four choices. The first two, the Notre Dame tie-ins, Jordan Cornette and LaFonso Ellis. The other two choices, Jeff Van Gundy and Susie Culber. Cornette, Ellis, Van Gundy, Culber, who will you miss the most on ESPN? Tough day in our industry. It's 5.59. A sports update is coming up in just a couple of moments. We've got the My Five on the way. Notre Dame Football Week in Review and Sports Wagering Talk next hour on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat continues 11 minutes after 6 o'clock on this Friday evening. The My Five today. My top five quarterback prospects for the 2024 National Football League draft. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. This guy might be higher on my list than most lists, but I'm projecting ahead. And I think this guy's going to have even more of a breakthrough season than he had last year. At number five, Michigan quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. Hey, he grew up with Notre Dame gear all over his bedroom, so he's got to be a pretty cool dude, right? 6'3", 200 pounds. He has got a strong right arm. Great job of driving the football down the field. I think he displays really good touch. He is athletic. He does a good job of scrambling around. He can hurt you with his legs. Does a good job of getting out of trouble. I don't think ball placement's going to be a concern. That's a strength for him. And he just comes across as a leader and a very confident football player. I've got J.J. McCarthy of Michigan at number five. Four. Number four, it's funny to think there's a lot of people in the Lone Star State that are ready for this guy to move along so they can see Arch Manning, the freshman quarterback, take over that Longhorns offense. But for now, it's Quinn Ewers of Texas. Mobile quarterback. He can buy time for himself with his athleticism, good footwork, accurate on intermediate throws. Seems like he goes through his progressions very, very well, moves the ball all across the field. And he's really good at leading receivers down the field. In the NFL, you can throw that deep ball. They are absolutely going to love you. So, Quinn Ewers of Texas, number four 
on my list. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Top quarterbacks for the 2024 NFL Draft, and automatically these guys are Heisman hopefuls. At number three, we're going to the Pac-12 and Washington Huskies quarterback Michael Penix Jr. It's almost hard to believe Indiana had this guy at one point. He has what you would call an NFL body that the scouts love. 6'3", 215, excellent accuracy by Penix Jr. A mobile quarterback. He's effective outside the pocket. He's known for going through his progressions well. Throws with touch. And he is a guy that's very patient in the pocket. He doesn't just run to run. He'll wait till the last second, and then he's got a strong right arm as he can unload that football deep down the field. So at number three, Michael Penix Jr. of Washington. Number two. A guy that Notre Dame saw last year, Drake May of the University of North Carolina. Again, that prototypical NFL quarterback body, 6'4", 220 pounds. Let's make this really easy. He can make all the throws. Terrific athlete. He can burn you with his scrambling ability. Terrific runner of the football. I love the plays he makes outside of the pocket. I love those quarterbacks that can improvise. I mean, I grew up with my favorite quarterback being John Elway, and that was one of his strengths, get him out of the pocket. And it almost became like a a backyard scrimmage where people are running around and the quarterback figures out a way to make a play. Drake May does that for North Carolina. Number one. And no surprise who number one is because had Caleb Williams of USC been in the 2023 NFL draft, he's probably the number one pick. And then all of a sudden, Houston would choose between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and maybe that affects Anthony Richardson going forward to the Colts. Who knows? He would have been the first pick. But instead, he is back at USC for one more year. I don't know if I really need to describe his talents. We saw it on display against the Irish at the Coliseum last November. Elite arm talent, big playability, can use his legs. I love him in play-action moments. Just an all-around great athlete that checks pretty much all the boxes you're looking for in a quarterback. And it doesn't hurt. He plays for an offensive-minded head coach in Lincoln Riley, who has developed some pretty good quarterbacks at Oklahoma. And it looks like he's starting to do the same at the University of Southern California. So the top five prospects on my list for next April, J.J. McCarthy of Michigan, then Quinn Ewers of Texas, Michael Penix Jr. of Washington, USC's, I'm sorry, UNC's Drake May, and then USC's Caleb Williams. Fighting Irish football team, they will take the field for the first time in 58 days. The Irish and Navy, August 26th, over in Dublin, 2.30 kickoff on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. As always, we will have pre and post game coverage after each Fighting Irish football game right here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT, and probably a less than a month away from the start of Notre Dame fall camp. That's the My Five question of the day. 
Afternoon baseball from Wrigley Field. The Cubs halted their four-game losing streak as they hammered the Cleveland Guardians 10-1. 13 base hits for the Cubbies today as they routed Cleveland. Nico Horner, three for four, a run, and a couple of runners knocked in. Chris Morrell hit a three-run home run for Chicago. Jared Young, the former South Bend Cub, two for three, two runs, two runs batted in. He is now hitting 444 for the Cubs in his first week in the majors in 2023. On the mound, good old Justin Steele improved to nine and two. Another quality start, six and a third shutout innings, three hits, six strikeouts, 96 pitches, 65 for strikes, and his earn run average is down to 2.43. Nice going. Justin Steele, a Mississippi kid that loves his Alabama Crimson Tide football. Okay, we're going to step aside for a moment. When we come back, it's our Notre Dame football week in review. Then sports wagering talk wraps up the program. South Bend Cubs baseball at 715 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Continues now. Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Caught on the one-yard line and into the end zone. Tobias Merriweather, first catch of his Notre Dame career, goes for a touchdown from 41 yards out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Setting up Estime over the middle, 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Welcome back to Sports Beat. Darren Pritchett with you. It is time for our Notre Dame football week in review. We start with Notre Dame football recruiting news. And with that information, we turn to Blue and Gold's Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. You put out a very interesting prediction earlier this week, Mike, at blueandgold.com. A guy we've spent time talking about the last few months, and that is a big-time offensive line recruit. Gerby Lambert. Why do you think he might end up with the Fighting Irish? Yeah, huge prediction here. Kind of, um, you know, put, putting my, uh, you know, not not reputation on the line, but it's it's a pretty big deal um, to to predict this kind of talent um, to the Fighting Irish. Four official visits, and this is basically down to these four schools: Darren, Notre Dame, Boston College. Ohio State and Harvard. When is the? I'm sure it's been decades since it's been those four schools as finalists for a prospect. Seriously, I mean, pre-Civil War. I mean, how often is Harvard <laughs> in there with Notre Dame, Boston College, and Ohio State for for a top four? And that kind of goes to show how how unique of a young man Gerby Lambert is. Six six, two hundred two hundred ninety pounds. Um, from Catholic Memorial in uh, in Massachusetts, academics being very, 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 very important here um, to Gerby and his family. He was going to go to Penn State this past weekend, canceled that trip, and went to Harvard. Hmm. Which to me, that's a pretty good sign that hey, he doesn't want to maybe go to a football factory, which would then also probably rule out Ohio State. 
Um, then there's Harvard. You at least want to have some kind of factory for football, though, at, at your school. Sure, I mean, the NFL will go anywhere for the top players, but, you know, get to go to Harvard. How often do you play, you know, these recruits say about Notre Dame that it's the best of both worlds? It's kind of what you're hoping for here, that uh, th- that this young man says, hey, I love the football here, and he and his parents agree that these the academics here and, and what he's looking for line up as well. And that's why I put in the prediction. Um, not only that, hey, this makes a lot of sense, but also just kind of the buzz and talking to folks on the Notre Dame side of things. And Darren, quite honestly, in talking to different what I call industry sources, other folks um, who are, are very tied in, in following this recruitment as well, I'll talk to one person. This person says Notre Dame, Boston College. This, the next person says, ah, Notre Dame, Ohio State. This person says, oh, he really likes Boston College and is official there. This person says not so much. So it's kind of differing opinions on maybe where Boston College and Ohio State stands, and I would assume that Harvard is not a, a major contender here. Can't say that I, I, I know many people plugged in with Harvard football recruiting. Um, but just the feeling is that everyone you talk to believes that Notre Dame is the team to beat here. Um, just, I mean, yesterday I was talking to a source on the Notre Dame side of things, and you know, the Irish definitely feel like they have the lead here for this elite offensive tackle prospect. So went ahead and logged the prediction. Again, it's not a – and my the predictions I do are never, hey, this guy is committing in two days. Go ahead and log your prediction. I, I don't do that. I, I like them to be a projection of what I believe will happen. It's, it's a prediction very much in the sense of that word. So um, I like the Irish here. Um could they still lose the recruitment? Sure. Could, you know, Boston College is probably the school I'm, I'm the most concerned about, Darren, just because there's that close-to-home factor um, that I think is real for him. But, you know, Notre Dame is, is a huge contender. Bubakar Traore, Notre Dame freshman defensive lineman, very good friends with Gerby Lambert, um, high school teammates at Catholic Memorial. I think that's another huge factor that he could go to Notre Dame and already have a best friend on the roster. Yeah, I'm rolling with uh, Notre Dame here, Darren. Yeah, I think the Civil War era, the the Log Cabin Bowl was a big thing back then. Harvard and Ohio State, they had some classic matchups back in the day. Hey, I got to ask you about this because Lambert is such a unique talent. Watching the video, he is a massive guy for a high school kid, but his footwork is awfully impressive. Does he project, first of all, to possibly be a left tackle if that's what Notre Dame needs? And is there a chance if he signs with Notre Dame, he would be a top candidate to replace Joe Alt when he ends up in the NFL draft? Left tackle or right tackle for me, Darren. We saw Blake Fisher start against Florida State as a true freshman. I could see Gerby Lambert doing the same. And, oh, yeah, Gerby's playing against, you know, teams in Massachusetts. Well, I mean, Blake Fisher's played in Indianapolis. So it's not like, you, you know, we're talking about elite talent and Blake was able to come in just physically Blake came in ready to go. He had to trim some, you know, some, uh, a little bit to, to get to be able to match some quickness, but just so hard to get around Blake Fisher. I honestly think Irby Lambert, and I said it on your show, Darren, I think Irby Lambert could, could start at Notre Dame as a true freshman. Um, if you, if Joe Alt goes, maybe Blake Fisher stays. 
maybe Blake Sides left tackle, Gervy could play right tackle, or they both could go, and then he could you know, go after either position. I'd be interested. Gerby doesn't really do many interviews. I'd be interested to kind of hear about what Notre Dame's pitch to Gerby is about potential to start right away. And last thing on this point before we move on there, the name Gerby. I, usually a recruit I call by their last name. I, I call Gerby by his first name because it's just an amazing name. Total side note. <laughs> He's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Another prediction that you made this week involves the class of 2025. Yeah, Darren, like, like I said with Gerby, projections. And uh, I like Notre Dame's land, Justin Thurman. So he is from St. Louis to Smet High School. He's teammates with Christian Gray there. Um, good friends with Jeremiah Love, Notre Dame. I mean, both of these guys signed with Notre Dame in the 2023 class out of St. Louis. So Thurman's at DeSmet Jesuit, right? That's the school name. Transfers, his family moves to Florida. Now he's at Tampa Jesuit. So you got clearly wherever he's going, he's going to a Catholic school. I think that he's going to continue to go to Catholic schools and college. That's why I project him to go to Notre Dame. Um, and this is, what, my fifth? 2025 will be, I think, my sixth, fifth or sixth recruiting class I've covered um, with the Fighting Irish. Thurman, I think, is the most Notre Dame kid I've ever talked to. Hmm. I mean, seriously, the only other school I could see him going to is Stanford. Like, just because of how academic he is, like, just how bright, how smart. Um, just, when you just interact with some kids, they're just what Mike Goolsby would say as a sweetheart of a kid, that's Justin Thurman. So logically, it makes a lot of sense for him to end up at Notre Dame. He visited um, in mid-June camp. That checked the box there. The Irish staff really liked him from what I am told. Um, you know, even our own staff at Blue and Gold that was there, I was not able to attend. But, you know, our own staff thought he was um, outstanding. Um, and for folks watching on radio – or, excuse me, on, on television, this is, um, you know, highlights from his sophomore season at DeSmet. Um, you know, big physical kid. Uh, and, uh, you know, rain well at camp. Notre Dame sources feel pretty good here. He visited, you know, because he has the St. Louis connection, being that where he's from, you know, he, he's still looking at some of the schools like Kansas and, and Iowa. I just don't see him ending up at one of those schools. He took a trip to Alabama and camped there in June. We'll see if the Crimson Tide were to offer what he would think about that. But as of now, I, I have a hard time seeing this kid not end up at Notre Dame. There's some good information on the future of Notre Dame football from Blue and Gold's Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. Now let's talk about the 2023 Fighting Irish with the beat reporter at Blue and Gold, Tyler Horka. Tyler, I was talking earlier in the program about some of the question marks on offense and if this offense can be a lot better than last year's unit. First off, we know the quarterback position is in better hands, so that's enough. But I'm curious what you think. You've got Jared Parker as the play caller, and it's a little still bit of a mystery if he was heavily involved in play calling at West Virginia. Do you feel like he could be the biggest question mark on offense? Is that a fair label? Question mark, X factor, uh, fill in the blank, whatever you want to call him. I think he is that guy because I wrote at blueandgold.com just this week uh, the CBS Sports Report 
Uh, I thought it was very interesting that they they really keyed in on six schools, three offensively, three defensively, of which programs are going to make the biggest leaps from one year to the next. And they said Notre Dame is going to be one of the most improved offenses in college football in 2023. And then you click on the story and basically they could have explained their reasoning and their rationale in two words, one name, Sam Hartman. And I kind of, I wouldn't say fired back against that, but you know, played a little devil's advocate and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now there, there's a lot of moving parts to this Notre Dame offense. And it starts at the top, even above Sam Hartman. And that's the guy that you bring up here is Jared Parker. Look, this could be the first year of several really, really good ones for Jared Parker. This is the opportunity that quite simply makes or breaks his career. I mean, if he takes this opportunity and runs with it, he's going to be an offensive coordinator for a long time. He might even be a head coach. He's going to be calling plays for however long he wants to in this profession. If it doesn't work out and it crashes and burns, and I'm not saying it's it's going to be that way, but anything is possible in college football, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing is a given. Uh, Then obviously this could be a detriment to his career. And I mean, he was coaching tight ends at this time last year. He could go back to that. It might not be at a place as highly thought of and uh, sought after by people in his profession as Notre Dame. So I think, like you said, question mark, X factor, whatever you want to call him, a lot of what happens for Notre Dame this season offensively is going to come down to the way not only he calls plays, but just the way he oversees the entire operation. This is a huge step up for him. He's no longer rolling out Michael Mayer and saying, hey, man, throw the ball to to this guy. He's pretty good. He's got to come up with a way for Notre Dame to score points and and score more points than teams like Ohio State, teams like USC. Clemson has a five-star quarterback who's going to be a lot more comfortable this year. It's going to be interesting to see the way he navigates that. Yeah, I mean, Parker takes over an offense with no Michael Mayer, who was the number one target by far last year. Logan Diggs, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call him. He's now at LSU. And I even think back to the start of last year, I thought the offensive line would be dominant from the get-go, and I thought it took them a little time to get going, and there were ups and downs throughout the year. And you look at this offensive line with a new offensive line coach and two new offensive guards, I guess we really can't take anything for granted at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, An offensive line, you kind of look at it in 20% segments, and you think, okay, Joe Alt's 20%, and he's solidified. He's awesome. He might be the best tackle in college football. Blake Fisher is really kind of just – I look at him as a sophomore almost because of all the time that he missed as a freshman two years ago with the knee injury. I think he's going to be really, really good this year. If everyone remembers, Blake Fisher was supposed to be Joe Alt before Joe Alt became Joe Alt. So (laughs) if Blake Fisher is that guy, then there's another 20%. There's 40%. But then you look at the offensive guard spots and you're like, oh, man, there's another 40% that is kind of a huge gap right now. I mean, you're banking on – a sophomore in Billy Strauss, as it stands right now from what we saw in the spring, to be another 20% component to that. He's never played a single snap at the college level. Andrew Kristoffek has played quite a few of them, mm-hmm. hundreds of them. But this is a kind of new role for him, too. You're asking him to line up and say, okay, play next to Blake Fisher and Joe Alt and be not as good as them, but make sure there's no downfall. And that's kind of a lot of pressure for a guy that's really only played in spot duty for the first four years of his career. So, yeah, I mean, I look at the offensive line as a situation where uh, 
Sam Hartman struggles with pressure, and if you're going to be able to stunt and blitz your way through the middle of the Notre Dame offensive line, it could be another one of those situations that you alluded to, Darren, where you think just because it's Notre Dame, they're going to be really good along the offensive line right from the start. But I wouldn't be surprised in games against NC State and uh, Central Michigan even if you're sitting there saying, whoa, what the heck, how are these teams putting pressure on Sam Hartman? Well, the blueprint's out there right now. Uh, attack the middle. Don't go. Don't try to blitz your way and, and edge rush your way around Alton Fisher. Go right through the middle of it. And if you can get to Notre Dame's six-foot-one quarterback who doesn't have the legs of a Caleb Williams or the escapability of a Drake May, then that's how you're going to do it. So I think that's a really interesting part of this season for Notre Dame as well. Blue and Gold's Tyler Horkham, I guess, talking Notre Dame football. How would you describe what a successful season is or successful production for the tight end position? It's a bit of a mystery right now. Yeah, I, I think that you've got to ask two or three guys. I don't know if you want to go all the way down to four, but you might have to. You might have to ask four guys to just kind of come up with a similar stat line as Michael Mayer had himself last year. And I had all day to look this up, but I, but I didn't. But you know the numbers. I think he caught somewhere around 70 passes for close to 900 yards and uh, you know upward of seven, eight, nine touchdowns. So if you can get Kevin Bauman to chip in here and Mitchell Evans there and even Eli Raritan and Holden Stays, the two sophomores, to kind of get around that, I mean, 50, 60, 70 catches, maybe even upward of 1,000 yards and, and upward of double-digit touchdown receptions, then you've kind of done your job. Because if you look at it last year, it was Michael Mayer and then nobody. I mean, Mitchell Evans caught, what was it, three passes for 39 yards and a touchdown mm -hmm. in the Gator Bowl, and Notre Dame needed every bit of that to win that game. Uh, but then the rest of the season, it was – you didn't ask any other tight ends to do anything in the passing game because Michael Mayer was able to do it all for you. Now, I do think – if you did have like a Tommy Tremble or somebody that could actually come in and give you 20, 25 catches throughout the season, then Mayer probably would have been even better. I think you're looking at a, a definitely a first round selection in the NFL draft. I think you should have went in the first round anyway. That's another story, but uh, you're looking at a guy that would have had less pressure. So it's definitely going to be by committee this season. And then another thing that they have to figure out with the tight ends is just the run blocking duties. I think Eli Raritan is probably the best run blocker, but he's coming off his second ACL injury in as many years. So you don't know what that does to his physicality and, and things in the trenches like that. So you got to find somebody that can, that can really run block because Holden stays and Kevin Bauman really struggled in that area last year. Mitchell Evans was okay, but he wasn't a Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer was the second best run blocker on this team on the entire Notre Dame offense, according to pro football focus right behind Joe Alt and you just heard me talk about Joe Alt so if you're in the same sentence as Joe Alt as a blocker you're doing the right things Michael Mayer was that guy so not only do you have to make up for his absence in the passing game but you got to make up for him as a blocker as well because he was the total package let's go to defense what is a bigger concern for you as you project what this Irish defense might look like Notre Dame facing a powerful rushing attack or a big play passing game? Mm, that, that's a really good question. And I think it's almost dead even. I would probably lean towards wanting to face, if you're Notre Dame, 
you don't want to face a really potent passing attack because that can put a lot of strain on the back end, obviously. But I just think the personnel that Notre Dame has back there with a true number one corner in Benjamin Morrison. I think if Cam Hart is healthy, he's going to be really good. The safety position worries me a little bit, but I'm no more worried about it this year than I was last year. I mean, Brandon Joseph was supposed to be All-American level. He just wasn't. So if you take that into consideration as hindsight is 2020, knowing what he was, I think the safety situation is actually pretty similar now as it was compared to last year. And Morrison is a year older. Mickey is a year older. Clarence Lewis is a senior now. You add Thomas Harper from Oklahoma State who can play some nickel for you. Mickey and Lewis can play some nickel for you even as well. So I kind of like what Notre Dame has in the secondary. Now, again, that doesn't mean I would rather Notre Dame face Caleb Williams and <laughs> or, or Ohio State and Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Buka, and whatever five-star quarterback is going to be throwing them passes. But if it comes to a situation where like, – like, for example, think of Michigan the last couple of years and the two years that they've made the college football playoff and just the way that they could – steamroll opponents by running the ball. I mean, it's the way they beat Ohio State a couple of times, and we all saw that Notre Dame could not beat Ohio State last year. I think Notre Dame would get rolled right now against a team like that. Now, there's a lot of time before the season to kind of sure some things up, but I just don't see the personnel that Notre Dame can run out there and just and just stand up physically. And, and I know that Notre Dame is supposed to be the team, you know, supposed to have the identity to do that. Marcus Freeman is reaching for it right now, but uh, as it stands, just with the personnel that Notre Dame has right now, I mean, Darren, would you want to go in and face Michigan when it's running its best and running its way right into the college football playoff? I know I would. For more Notre Dame football news with Tyler Horka and Notre Dame football recruiting information from Mike Singer, check him out at blueandgold.com. Sportsbeat continues next on WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 